right. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. Uh, this will be episode four, though it will say three in the audio in a couple places. As you may remember, uh, I swapped out Randy and the interview with the reverse interview for the last episode. So again, this is episode four. Let me give a quick shout out to the sole um, sponsor of this show right now, which is Chris at BeamBarns.com. That is B-E-A-M-S. B-A-R-N.com. When you're listening to the show from my website, you'll see his little icon there and his web address. Um, as you may remember, I'm checking out some of those barns to see if they'll make an observatory. They're very cool. Go check him out. If you do so, tell him Crow sent you. Um, we're going to talk with Randy today. He's in Houston, and he is probably the earliest person that I met as a result of my YouTube channel because he was filming things that I had been filming. And he has caught the lunar wave now twice, so we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. And it's really kind of a unique show to have someone with darn near the amount of scope time that I have uh, and the experiential things that we can talk about where I'm not in a situation trying to explain what I've experienced. I'm talking to someone who's experienced these same things. And a number of times in this conversation, um, things come up that we had never talked about uh, that we have in common in this regard. With all that in mind, let's jump right into episode four with Randy, who has filmed the lunar wave twice from Houston, Texas. Here we go. All right. Welcome to episode three of Crow 777 Radio Podcast. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking with my good friend Randy in Houston. Uh, for those of you that have followed me, you might remember that I actually met Randy as a result of my YouTube channel. Uh, because he was out doing the work, filming with a telescope as I was. And uh, as fate would have it, he emailed me one day and we began to talk. And it wasn't long before he had sent me some video files. And we began to corroborate that we were seeing similar objects um, in the sky. So uh, I don't even know how long it's been now. It's been a couple years anyhow since I met Randy. And if I remember correctly, I believe he is the first person that I met via my YouTube channel, uh, and he's certainly the first person I met who was out doing the work. And as I've said in other episodes, uh, people out doing the work, challenging the system, these are really the people that I want to talk to. Uh, I'm not interested in fame and fortune. I am interested in people who are challenging the system. And having said that, here we have Randy. Welcome aboard, Randy. Hey, man. How you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you doing out there? We just had snow last night, uh, but it melted about an hour after it fell. Uh, it's in the 30s out there. I can see the moon for the first time in a long time, but it's damn cold yeah. with a whipping wind. So what's your weather like? Oh, man. We've had over the last number of weeks oh, in the 70s, touching up into the 80s a couple of times. Uh, but last night, and usually in March, a lot of part of March like this, we get down into the 30s just for one night or so, and then it starts easing back up for the summertime. So I think last night was our coolest night that we've had in weeks. And, uh, and actually, it's turned out to be a very nice day. It's up in the mid-60s right now, sun shining beautifully, enjoying it. And I tell you what, you can have the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally jealous, man. I am just dying to get my telescope out. I'm really kind of dying to get my solar rig out, too. Um, the chemtrails are pretty bad here, but let's jump into it. I mean, what what have you been filming lately? Well, you know, what, what's kind of ironic is, like, when you really want to get into uh, shooting the moon and one thing or another, it just seems like 
why is it that it just got to cloud up on the night that I want to start filming, you know, or the weather changes a little bit or it gets a little foggy or whatever. I've only had a few nights to, to actually get out here and shoot. And, uh, and, and it was nothing that I've, you know, caught other than a bunch of birds flying by on those nights, nothing spectacular. Cause you know, as well as anybody is like, you can shoot for hours and hours. It's like watching that paint dry on the wall you know you watch for <laughs> hours and hours and see nothing for that one spectacular moment you know and uh, but nothing has uh, actually passed by at the time but uh and and i i told you sometime back there that i had purchased a uh a sony 4k camera now this is a huge step up from the old handy cam that i had been using which it was a beautiful little machine but i started shooting a lot of stuff in the daytime just playing around with the camera more or less just to get the feel of it because it's got so many more uh, sort of like a dslr you've got so many different things that you can do with it um adjusting the the autofocus or manual focus the shutter speed all these different things you can do and i haven't learned a fraction of it yet but I have been filming things in the sky, just playing around with, okay, example how great this thing works. The clarity going from a, say, a basic HDM, I mean, not, not excuse me, HD uh, 1080p, okay? Yeah. That's like 2 billion pixels, two, 2 billion, give or take, ever how many pixels. 4K is shooting at 10 billion pixels. Of resolution, so, can, so we're talking yes. ten billion. Okay, I see. Yeah, it's just it's just astronomically high, and the clarity is like my eyes can't even see this clear. You know, well, I've got. I also purchased a little two X uh, telephoto lens to go on the end. It's a high definition lens. With in other words, it just brings it in a little bit closer, and I can keep it in the the. Uh, the optical range, not going into the digital range of, of focus or, or zooming, excuse me. And so when I do that, I was out there playing around the yard with it, and there was a jet flying over at altitude. I said, oh, let's see if I can zoom in on this. I kept bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in. I could tell you what color that plane was. I'm like, this is crazy. So that's about five or six miles away, give or mm. take, you know. And it's just crazy. And I went down to the lake and shot some boats and stuff. And I could see people four miles away on the other side of the lake shooting across there, see people walking around and doing stuff. And this thing is just now, of course, when it gets into that digital range of, uh, of zoom, it starts getting pixelated. But as long as you stay in the optics part of it, it's really clear. But I've been playing around with that and uh, catching a lot of uh, really strange looking objects flying through the sky. You know, it's like I, I asked people, I said, have you ever seen when you're standing out in the yard, you just look up the sky and you glance up, you think you've seen something, but there's nothing there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Well, I said, you really are seeing something out your peripheral vision. Uh, but, but it's by the time you turn around and look in this one spot, it's probably 10 miles down range at that point or ever how fast this thing's flying. So I set this camera up on my tripod and I go into my shop where it's nice and dark and I get on my uh, little notepad where I can remotely control this camera on and off and zoom it in and out. And I'll get in a dark one. I can see the screen really good and clear and I'll just watch and I'll see a speck go across the screen and I'll stop the camera and restart it. So I'll know it's kind of like a, a, a marker on my film where I say, 
this is what I want to see the last 15 seconds, not the first half hour of nothing. Right. And I'll take it in there and I'll put it on my big computer where I've got a nice big screen and I'll analyze it one frame at a time for the last five or six seconds to where I get what I want. And um, I think I had mentioned to you when we was on the phone earlier uh, that I've caught cylinder looking craft. And just today I caught some things and, you know, a bird, you know, you can tell a bird pretty much. I mean, if it's a bug, a bird, somewhere in one of those frames, you're going to see those little wings pop up a little bit right. and just say, OK, that's the that's what it is, you know. But I've got uh, several things today even that went across the screen. I got like five or six frames and all the way across. And I zoomed in till I couldn't zoom anymore on my computer, just like exploding it up. And it's a kind of a brownish looking. I mean, when I say a classic disc shape. Now, I can't definitively say that uh, this is a craft of some sort. I need other people to look at it and just say, vent me out on it, because I think it's some curious things that I catch. And, and you've caught those same things, too. And uh, until you get another set of eyes on it, you know, our excitement sometime, sometimes can blind us to what it really is. You know, could it could very well be a bug or something that I just zoomed in really close. But with the naked eye, you don't see these things. But with these cameras shooting at such high resolution, it's just phenomenal what you can catch. And uh, so that's kind of what I've been doing here lately, Ben's that the weather's been off and on. And I think we've got a good moon coming up tonight, uh, uh, which should be a really spectacular evening because it's been crystal clear all day today. Yeah, and we're, we're one day off the equinox as well. Um, I was so bummed. I mean, I didn't even get my scope on any pre-equinox filming. Um, but I want to touch on a couple things you brought up. And, uh, you know, I'm so jealous that you've got a 4K. You know, I've upgraded <laughs> so many times now. People keep urging me to get 4K. And in a minute here, if you don't mind, maybe we'll talk about cost. But I think we should mention for people who might want to go out and film on their own, when you're using Zoom on modern cameras, for the most part, you never want to use digital Zoom. You always right. want to use optical because resolution is everything. But as you mentioned, uh, early on, I was shooting at 60 frames a second in the daytime, and I was catching a number of these cylinder craft, and they are going so, so fast that your naked eye just can't see them because of the speed they're going. And I caught right. a number of what you call the classic disc, too. And one thing we should let people know is with cameras, there's a thing called depth of field. And what that right. basically comes down to is if you're focused on an object, you can kind of control whether things in the foreground are in focus or out of focus and things further than where the focus point is as well. And so if you're using a tight depth of field, you pretty much know that you're shooting something at distance and you can kind of tell by the focus. But mm -hmm. let's jump back for a minute. I mean, if you don't mind, um, do you mind talking about what it costs to get a 4K rig? No, no, not a problem. Um, actually, I, I looked at a lot of different cameras. And, of course, I'm kind of sold on the Sony product, not that it's the best or anything like that, but it's just – some of the features that it had I, I really liked, and some of the reviews that I've seen was really good. So that's just my own preference of, of, you know, camera to use. Now, like I said, there's a lot of really awesome cameras out there. Uh, the price of this one here was, uh, with everything that I've gotten, I actually got it on Amazon um, with a bunch of different lenses and 
filters and different things you can use. Uh, it ran about uh, nineteen hundred dollars for this camera. Wow. Uh, now, now you can get four K stuff a little bit cheaper, but it just doesn't have the bells and whistles that I was looking for. You know, so and then of course four K goes from that price up into the 20 of thousands of dollars if you want, you know, so you know how that goes, just whatever the, your budget is, uh, you could spend it on just about anything. Now I'm using a, a handy cam, uh, where a lot of people like yourself is using the DSLRs and, uh, you can even step up into the 4k on the DSLRs, uh, which is a great feature. So each system has their own thing. Now, this is not just for just videotape and stuff that I catch on the moon or, or flying through the air. This is for uh, recording family stuff too, because my two youngest sons they're uh, going through high school and they they're in the band. One plays the drums, one plays the clarinet, and uh, and so they they do marching band. So I like to get up in the stadium and just shoot down and just be able to catch it all, just clear and because this is stuff that you want to keep forever. It's not like the old VHS stuff where in a few years it's basically gone, you know. Uh, so this, to me, is going to be uh, super clear, clean, which will last for who knows how many years. But uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I'm using is the uh, 4K for just kind of like daytime stuff. And I still got my little handy cam that I use with a little HD, uh, which shoots in 1080p, 60 frames per, uh, per second that uh, I hook to my telescope. And it's only because I cannot get the the new camera to adapt to the telescope just yet. I was hoping I could find some adapters to hook it in right in the very back, uh, like with a T-ring and stuff like that, but just hadn't managed to get the right adapters to to make it all come together. So I have to go back to my trusty little <laughs> smaller camera hook on the telescope, which it does a phenomenal job also. And we'll talk about a couple of lenses or, or lens that I got for that one to make things better too. So it sounds to me, I mean, you can pull the lenses off the 4K clearly. I think what you probably should do is call OPT, Oceanside Telescope in Oceanside, California, and mm -hmm. uh, they can adapt almost any camera, uh, and I'm not kidding, any camera to the rear cell of a scope. And I was going to ask yeah. you if you've shot the moon with the 4K yet, but I wanted to ask you, um, you've got a YouTube channel now, which for the longest time, uh, when you caught some interesting things, occasionally you'd send me clips that I would run on my channel uh, right. You've got a channel now. Are you going to be running video? And also, how can people find that channel if, in fact, you will be running video? Well, I haven't run any video as of yet. Um, I've been having a YouTube channel for a long, long time. And, and uh, you know, I, I, the whole thing that I'm doing here has just kind of been my own little piece of whatever I do here, just my enjoyment and for my own truth, for the mo most part, because, you know, you hear a lot of things out there. You hear a lot of people make all kinds of wild claims. Oh, I saw this UFO. I seen this, and the moon did <laughs> that, and this and that. They're like, goodness, how do you go through all this garbage to sort out what is truth and what is just purity bull, you know? Really, yep. And so, so when I got my stuff, it was just for my own truth. And then, of course, when I started catching things passing or transiting the moon— and then, of course, listen to a lot of your, your research. I'm like, wait a minute. This goes a lot deeper than what I thought. And, 
And uh, I'm, I'm contemplating I go ahead and start putting some of my stuff on YouTube and uh, people can see. But it was basically just to have fun with it. And then I'd pass it off to you and let you use it as, you know, as you've seen fit. That's what kind of what my idea was at first. But I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward uh, spreading that word out there for a lot more people because uh, there's a lot of us out there that are just, when I say purity amateurs, <laughs> and we're just having fun with it but never – never produce it or, or put it out there to where people can see it. And um, I think it's time for us more and more to all do this uh, versus just sitting back and hiding our work, you know, like I've been doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange days we live in. And the truth is um, people would be surprised if you take a camera out in the daytime, it will not be long before you're filming interesting things. And uh, you know, the, what you just described to me has me really wanting to ask you about film and chem planes. But since I have that on the list of things I want to cover with you, I'll wait <laughs> I'll wait a bit. But putting a 4K camera with a telephoto lens on those chem planes, you I mean you may be even start to resolve the sprayers and stuff. But anyhow, let's let's talk about the night vision for a minute. Um, for the people yeah. listening, um, when I first got out here to Rhode Island, uh, Randy sent me a gift right around Christmas time. Uh, and it was a little kind of consumer grade, I think first generation night vision scope. And uh, while it's not really made to set up for a camera, I do think you could, and I think you told me this, you could put a webcam on it. And I have gone sure. out and used it and it's pretty handy. Um, do you have night vision at this point? And is this something you're ever considering upgrading to, you know, like better night vision? Well, uh, as cool as it is, this camera that I've got, this new 4K Sony that I have, has night vision on it. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, the first night I had, I'm like, I, I'm looking at the little button on the side, it says night vision. I'm like, what in the world? Well, I might be able, be able to see a little bit better at night. I hit that button, bing, everything turned green. I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> I wow. can see the trees out there. Yeah. So it's IR? So that camera <laughs> has IR? Yeah. I don't know if it's just a filter that comes up because it, it – does something inside and you can see it swipe across and you can flat out see it and uh i haven't really done a lot of shooting at night with it but what little bit i have done uh it looks pretty unique i, I just got to get the feel of this thing even more so uh but yeah it's, it's it shoots for uh shoots the uh night vision <laughs> That's incredible. You know, I, I would have given my uh, left leg if I would have had a tool like that while I was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, oh, yeah. Over Lake Michigan, Michigan up there just blew my mind. Uh, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. And it's not just lights in the sky either. It's just like a menagerie of craft. Um, some of them even look like they're going into the lake. But my DSLR just, they don't do so well in low light. Uh, right. But, you know, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I think once before we were talking about IR and UV tools and we were just kind of covering how much money it costs to get a good, good, you know, tools in IR or UV. So it'll be interesting to see what you can produce with your camera. But I mean, don't you really feel, I mean, I know I feel this way. Don't you really feel that the high end IR and UV tools would really begin to shatter a lot of the false beliefs that we're all kind of following? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, let me just back up just a notch here and say, is anybody can, if they're getting cameras and want to invest into it, 
uh, you can start off with a cheaper one, but you'll eventually go to the better ones as time goes on. Yep. But if you can, if you can actually say, look, I'm gonna just bite the bullet and spend, you know, fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars for a good 4K or setup something like that. The clarity of what you're shooting, and I'm gonna just go back to your question in a second. I was shooting this down the street uh, while I was popping fireworks at New Year's, and I could literally see there, there they were about. 200 yards down the road, just with the street lights, I could see that they were wearing blue jeans. Wow. And that's how that's how clear. Just regular street lights. But getting back to your question, yes, the the more advanced that our equipment becomes, the more clarity that we can get. And here we go with clarity. You know, if everything is truthful, then then you have clarity. Right. Same thing with this stuff. You can shoot something like. Well, yeah, it looked like this, but it's blurry. You know how many thousands of pictures <laughs> you've seen that they're blurry? You really, you're, you're only given a speculation when you see that. That's so right. So you really, you don't really know for sure. But no, boy, it, when you have a, when you have a photograph that is that is that is crisp and clean, or a video that's clean, and you can say, "Bam, that's what this is right here." And so, yes, when you have definitive, when I say definitive proof, that would be it. You know, this is not CGI. This is not doctored. This is just good old backyard shooting. And uh, yeah, it'll shed a lot of light on, on, a, on a lot of the untruth that's been floating around. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I'm getting ready to try to gear up and do more solar work uh, when I finally have the weather to get my tools out. There have been at least three occasions when I've been filming once, well, actually four occasions, because it happened twice while I had my solar rig out, and it happened twice while I was filming with my infrared UV camera, um, my full-spectrum DSLR. And mm -hmm. at nighttime, I was filming a full moon with my full-spectrum DSLR, and my wife always liked to kind of move around and check it out. So one night, I decided just to go off the moon, which I don't usually do, because you're sitting out there for hours, and you really don't want to miss that. 5, 10, 15 seconds that matter, but I right. took off and I started scanning the sky and I found, and I don't remember how many degrees it was, when I went off the full moon, I found a light patch in the sky and the only reason I could see it is because I was shooting in full spectrum and so yeah. then I went to the moon and I went to the other side and I couldn't find it. I went all around and then went back and I thought, what is that? And so I had saved the clip at the time. And then on another night, the very same thing in about the very same place. And I thought, could this possibly be the reflection of moonlight off something up there? Well, mm -hmm. as fate would have it, I was doing my solar rig, a similar thing where I was using the auto lighting on the full spectrum camera with a H alpha solar rig. Um, and I found what looks to be a reflection of the sun off something up there. At the time, I was going to post it. But I just couldn't – I didn't feel like I had quite enough evidence. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be crazy as the tools get better. Yeah. And now that you've got a 4K, I mean, basically when you think about it, um, I mark Bill Bryson as the first generation. Um, he's the guy that I watched who got me fired up when I finally that – I think it was May 7 back in 2012. And mm -hmm. I saw those things crossing the moon. Uh, Bryson was what I modeled my work on. It was his quality. And you were shooting it about the same time. So you and I kind of make up the first generation past Bill Bryson. And channels yeah. like CD make up maybe the third generation away from Bryson. 
But I mean, let, let's talk about some of the things we've learned from filming. What are your view on uh, on satellites? Um, have you ever filmed anything that looks like a satellite? Do you think satellites are real as they've been described to us? <laughs> Does it have wings like a bird? No, I've <laughs> never seen one. Never. I've I've even even taken uh, the different software that you can get to tell you where the satellites are and stuff like that. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I've I've just shot up in the sky at night, you know, crossing the moon. I've never had anything to cross the moon that even resembled what a satellite would look like. Yeah. Now, now whether we could actually see one, I don't know. But then again, we're seeing other things that's flying by. But of course, if what we're seeing is flying in the atmosphere versus into what they call space, uh, then that would make a huge difference, you know. Uh, so. I've never seen a satellite. You know, a lot of people see my videos because I like to just catch people off guard, and, and I say, "Hey, man, I got to show you something." <laughs> I showed one guy; he was a FAA, I mean, a, a air traffic controller, and uh, I said, "Hey, man, do you ever you like exotic planes?" He said, "Yes." He said, "I flew a T-38 in the military." I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, how about one of these?" And he looked at it. He goes, "Wow, the one with the nine different." disc that flew by i think i sent you that video right yeah i remember and i said i said on your radar at the airport i said you ever seen anything like this he says yeah he says i've seen these things many a time he said when they come across the radar he said when it hits the radar on one end he said it usually goes across the other side so fast he said if you're not looking at it, it it's like blip blip it's gone and he said we have some of them that come across the radar slower but they're still at extreme speeds you know but far as seeing a satellite i have never seen a satellite ever and i have i have tracked them on my computer and say okay well possibly one might come by and they're supposed to be how many thousands up there <laughs> yep i don't 10, know thousand dude. or more so so <laughs> wait a minute here um what's interesting about what you just told me i hadn't heard you say that before um if this guy's catching that stuff on radar he can get range he can get distance on those things yeah, about 300 miles <laughs> or so. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, well, they didn't hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, crazy. Yeah, so. they, got, they got a lot of range on those radars, and uh, they spread out really, really wide, so they can see pretty much everything. He's approach control, and they can see a lot of stuff that's coming across there and even down low. Okay, so approach is most jets are flying down low coming in or are coming from altitude, you know, getting set up in their landing pattern. So, yeah, he's catching these things. He said, yeah, definitely. I've seen those. And he went just so far and he kind of kind of stopped the conversation. You know, I'm like, I understand, man. He says, OK, good. Appreciate it. You know, and he kind of left it alone. So, you know, these guys are jobs and stuff would be on the line if they come out and, and say anything, you know, so. Yeah, it's crazy, but I, I think I'm going to have to whip out the Louisville Slugger and beat this dead horse a little bit. So what we have <laughs> just said is that I have many thousands of hours behind a telescope. I don't even know. Right. I mean, it's years now, and so do you. And right. we are both saying the same thing. Um, the hardest thing you will ever try to film, um, you know, we've said the lunar wave is the hardest thing to film, but there's actually something harder to film than a lunar wave. And that is a satellite that you can ID. And you and I, you were the first person to film these kind of round halo looking magnetic halo -y black things 
um, that transit the moon. You were the first guy to confirm what I had been shooting. And uh, here we are, two guys with many thousands of hours of observation time who have never shot a single satellite. Yeah. Well, hell, here's here's something. I'm going to throw you a kicker. Now, we have never discussed this, but I was out on a job one day, and I was leaving out from this place where I had uh, worked on a vehicle uh, with my company. And uh, this guy walked across this yard. He says, uh, can I help you? Because I was still at the gate while it was shutting because that's just something that I've learned to do whenever I leave a secured area. It's just wait for the gate to shut behind you. And uh, he said, I said, well, I was detailing a boat back there. And he goes, oh, okay. He says, so he started asking me a few questions about my business and everything. And so I said, what kind of work do you do? He says, well, I put up these big uh, towers for cell phones and all that stuff. And I said, okay. He said, well, I'm fixing to build, he says, a 2,000-foot cell tower down in South America somewhere where it was down there. And so I threw this question out to him just to see what his reaction was. And I said, oh, I said, so that's where the GPS saddle of the GPS trackers are on them towers. He goes, yeah, he says, see that tower right there? And he pointed it out. So he kind of in so many ways confirmed that GPS that we have is just triangulated from these towers that we have. And why is it when you drive into the cities, you get between these buildings, your GPS quits working? lost signal there there you have it man and i'll tell i'll tell you what um it's there's a few things you know i have said for so long that our world has been misdescribed and so many people are always trying to pull me into the flat earth and while i appreciate what the true individuals who are challenging from flat earth are doing um i don't appreciate what the group as a whole does because it's just a constant fight and then they get things that you have to agree on and i'm not interested in that but what you just pointed out um is crazy because if you go back and look at the onset of gps satellite for the masses along with the onset of cell phone use for the masses you Mm -hmm. can really begin to demonstrate um that satellites are playing no role in gps and uh, not that i can tell yeah having someone like you who i know is a straight shooter tell me that story is pretty crazy stuff (laughs) um because it's just another kind of link that demonstrates the lies that we're being told i mean at, at this point how would you say you know you've got so many thousands of hours behind a telescope like me uh what what has it done to your view of space and your view of the world? What, what has it changed for you from all that firsthand observation? Well, we're taught from, from time we start learning anything that there's certain things about this place that we live. And But as I've grown through my years, and I'll soon be 61 years old, and I'm going – wait a minute, that's not right. That doesn't look right. Because I am observe the sun coming up every morning and I notice the sun does not just come up and just go straight across. It has an arc and it curves around and goes down in another direction. And of course, when I started looking at the moon and observing it uh, close hand with a telescope, I'm standing there going like, wow, that doesn't look 237,000 miles away. <laughs> nope, it sure doesn't. No, you know, because I'm standing here with my, with especially with this new camera, which is kind of like making me believe that even more so because I'm shooting a, a aircraft at, you know, whatever, 
20 to 30,000 or 35,000 feet. So we're looking anywhere from four to what, maybe five or six miles, give yep. or take. Yep. I can turn this camera around on the moon, and yes, the moon is huge, whatever size it might be. And I can zoom in on it, and I can see the craters with this camera also. So you got a jet at five or six miles away. You got the moon at 237. I shouldn't be able to even come close to even looking at anything on the moon at that distance with the just standard optics of what this camera is, period. So to me, in my observation, I'm saying that it's not as far as away as we've been taught. There you go. Or they say it is. There you it's just go. kind of my observation. Now, I, I know a lot of people will give everybody flack for that one, but and, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, they're like, well, no way. Well, hey, if you're told something is, is red all your life when really it's blue, <laughs> what right. do you know the difference? That's you know, right. you've been taught that. You know, no, and at this point, I don't care. And it's so great to hear you say that because, um, you know, I not too long ago, I don't know, a year, year and a half, maybe it's even been two years. I don't know. I did that thought experiment where I used the Aristarchus crater, which is that very white crater that you can see when the moon's near full. Um, you know, that's roughly 40 miles in diameter. And that is right. listed as a naked eye thing you can see. In other words, if you're in your backyard using your naked eyes, you can see that mark on the moon, which is roughly, it's actually less than 40 miles in diameter. I think it's closer to 30 actually. But mm -hmm. if the moon is a quarter of a million, roughly a quarter of a million miles away, is it even remotely possible that you can see an object that's less than 40 miles in diameter? No, but, never. But what you pointed out is the observational experience that you get. After a certain number of hours of observing the moon, everything changes because you realize it is not as far away as you're being told. And not only that, I don't know if you've run into this, but my wife and I got to a point where on different nights we would flat out state to each other that the moon looked different. Um, the texture of it, everything. And it wasn't because of the lighting, because that's what people say, oh, well, every night the, the lighting's different. That's not what we're talking about. And on right. some nights, as the phase goes across, there's not a lot of change. Um, there's always a little bit. But what we would notice is that on certain nights, it would look mm -hmm. very three-dimensional, and on certain nights, it would look very flat. And I'm not pointing out that when it's fully lit, it looks flat. I'm pointing out right. that when you're looking at a crater that's lit in a way that it should look 3D, it looks very 2D. Have you ever run into this? Yes, yes. Uh, and of course, when you're looking at the moon, you'll get what I call optical illusions. I mean, you, you think you see something, you think you see it a certain way, but it's really not that way. And I'll give you an example real quick. In my shop here, I have a prop a old wooden prop of an airplane sitting up on my above my door. And the way the light was shining through the center hub of that thing, you know, the light was reflecting off the wall coming through that hole. When I looked up and I said, Well who put a cap on that on that hole up there? I'm <laughs> like, Well who put a cap? And I kept looking at it and I couldn't get my eyes to just understand my brain to understand that I was seeing the light reflecting out the back of the wall through that hole. And it looked like a cap. And I literally walked up to it and stuck my finger up to it. And I went, what a fool was I to even think there was a cap on that. But it did. It looked like somebody put a little silver cap on it. And there was none. So you can get some illusions 
of, of thinking the moon is, you know, a certain shape or whatever it might be. And it can throw some really weird things on you. But I have noticed this, too. And, and you tell me if you kind of notice this. Why is it you can look at one part of the moon and you can focus in on the craters and different things uh-huh. like that? It's just beautiful. I mean, just so much definition and just scoot over just a little bit. <laughs> and you can't even see. It looks like you took your telescope and just threw it completely into a blur state. There it is, man. This is such yeah. a great conversation, Randy, because this happens all the time. And when, we're, when we are shooting the moon in full frame, in other words, we've got as much of the moon in frame as we can, which is the way I shoot most of the time. There are often times when one portion of the moon is perfectly in focus and there's another portion that is not. And when you go over to that portion and focus it perfectly, the the area you just came from is not in focus. It's so funny you said that. Um, These are the observational experiences that you get um, that you can't really easily explain to someone. When when you've done it for thousands of hours and it becomes just this thing that you know, it's a whole other world. I, I mean, it's a bit like, the whole idea that the moon's not reflecting sunlight. In my view, the moon is generating its own light. And while it's very difficult to explain why I think this is correct, um, I'll ask you, uh, what's your sense of where the light we see is coming from? Well, you, you, it's all speculation. Yep. You, if you can't walk up on the moon, open the door and walk inside <laughs> and say, hey, this right. is what it is. Okay, I'm going to just... Tell everybody to try this the next time the moon comes rolling around when it's out of cycle from what we have at nighttime, and you'll see it in the daytime. Catch it in the morning, midday. You'll see the moon high, say like 12 o'clock high. And you'll see the moon. It's up there just as big as everything. But yet the sun is right beside it or, you know, off to one side of it a little bit, not drowning it out. But yet you'll see a nice perfect curve in the moon or, you know, shadow in the moon. Yep. Why is that? The Earth, the sun is not on the other side of the Earth, as they say, okay? Well, the sun and the moon is on the same side. You're looking at both of them side by side. Right. How do you get a curvature in the moon when they say, oh, it's just the Earth blocking the sun? Bull, you know, they're both sitting right there, big as everything. You know, you take two basketballs and put in your hand. Okay, one's reflecting the other one. No, they're both in your hands together in front of you. One has to be illuminated itself somehow or another. That's right. A lot of people bring this up. I can't tell you how many times in a month someone contacts me or sends me an image that shows exactly what you're describing. And some come at it saying, you know, this is supposed to be the shadow of the earth. Other ones say it's the oblique angle that the sunlight is supposedly hitting the moon that makes that kind of curved shadow that we call the phase. But when you begin to reason out what you're looking at, it's another one of those things. You you can't make that jive. Um, It just doesn't work. Um, you know, it was funny when you, we were talking a long time ago when I was still in San Diego and we were talking about one of the qualities of moonlight where, uh, and this was in the Hattie Bob research too. And in some of the common sense things we know, like if you try to cure meat in moonlight, it rots. Um, but you went out with a thermometer and just not as a tight scientific test, but as an offhand experience experiment to demonstrate that there is something to observe here, you showed that moonlight is actually cooler in just an offhand using a thermometer, an electric thermometer, 
um, mm-hmm. than, uh, than the ambient light around or in yep. shade on the same night. And what's funny is so many people came and were raging, oh, that's not scientific, there's no control, there's all these things, when the intention was just to show you that there is something to look at here and people yeah. should take the time, if they have the time, to go whole hog. Well, it, apparently there is a... Uh, mechanical engineer out there now who's got a hold of this and i think he's uh-huh. getting ready to do some tests um so we'll be looking but let's let's go ahead and keep it moving along but it, it's so great to talk to someone yeah. who has you know the, the the same experiences that i do because there's so so few people that i can talk to about these things that i actually yeah. am reasonably sure are correct now um and here you are having the same experiences but yeah let, let's go to the crazy side a little bit. What's your view on aliens? And uh, I don't know if you and I have the same view, and I don't think I've ever asked you in all this time, but what is your view on aliens? Well, uh, I've never seen one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to say that there's other life forms uh, because I see weird things flying in the sky, but that doesn't mean that an alien's driving it. Okay. Uh, it, it could be it could be anybody driving it from this place because there's technologies out there that we hadn't even scratched the surface of to say, oh, we got computers. That's all we got. You know, this is it. We've got airplanes. No, there's other technologies that are hidden. I mean, how long did they hide the stealth fighters? You know, right. many, many years. Sure. But when it comes to aliens, I, I, like I said, I've never seen one, but I'm not going to give it up and say that there is not other life forms because there's been a lot of people say there is, but then again, how do I know that there's people in Asia or Japan or Africa? I've never seen, I've never been there to see those people. A lot of them other than, you know, our culture here in Houston, you see different races of people. Yeah. I know that they, they exist, but you know, I, I have never seen an alien walking down the road, so I don't know, man. It just it just bumfuzzles me how people got all these pictures and stuff that's supposed to be aliens, but you know, I don't know. That's a weird question to try to answer. Yeah, <laughs> it really. Is. I, I mean, I think you and I stand in about the same place. You know, all my life I've kind of found it hard to imagine that human beings are the only game in town. True, but nonetheless, um, there are a gazillion cameras in this world and uh you know it's a bit like bigfoot if bigfoot hasn't been shot by now uh, i'm sorry you know there's just too many cameras but i mean it kind of brings me to the next thing what how how big a role do you think hollywood has played in uh putting the alien image and idea in our minds um how how Media and Hollywood, you know, if we think about media and Hollywood, how big a role did they play in all the alien talk we hear? I think it has everything to do with it. Everything. Okay. Uh, I just read something this afternoon. And uh, if you didn't know what the color blue was, do you know what blue is? Okay. And there's been tests that was done. They've asked different cultures that they don't really describe colors. They just live their lives out in the jungles or wherever they're at. And they ask them, what color is blue? They didn't know. Everything looks the greenish color. They don't know what blue is. And it's the same thing here. We've been so indoctrinated in a lot of different spectrums across uh, from beliefs and different things. And we don't need to get into all that stuff, but there's a lot of different 
doctrines out there. And of course, Hollywood plays this this whole thing with with aliens and and attacking the world and one thing or another to keep you in fear and keep you scared when the whole time it ain't nowhere close to that, you know? Now, not to say that there isn't groups out there somewhere, even if there is, you know? Yep. Uh, the, the, you know, the more I learn about, you know, the so-called firmament, and it, it makes me believe that, well, if there isn't certain other things and the moon and the sun is traveling around this place in a different way than what we've been taught, how can anybody get in or out, you know? Is it a life experience that we come in and we live this life to experience the understanding of just learning and then leave this place to where we're supposed to go? Uh, but when somebody creates different looking things, oh, that's what they look like. Oh, really? Have you seen one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. So they they can make <clears throat> movies and make you believe anything. I mean, movies are believable. Dadgum, man, you come from a movie, you go like, wow, that seemed real, yep. you know? You know what I mean? Exactly. It's the illusion they put in your head. You know, the funny thing is that you can pretty much track when the idea of what people call a gray alien was introduced in film. And you can track it all the way up through the 70s into the modern era, you know, through the Spielberg stuff, um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where they're still doing different versions of that and correlate it directly, nearly directly to people's idea of what aliens are. Um and, and another thing, too, I think people as a whole, or I say people, I'm not just throwing it off on everybody else and not myself. All of us, at one time or another, we looked for that savior figure. And if they're of a higher intelligence and have technologies better, they're going to save us, you know? And I think a lot of people will have that that mentality that, these guys are smart. They're going to come save us. So they want to believe that. They want to believe that that illusion that it's been made. And yeah, it, it's, it's so, not there. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I mean, even as a kid coming up, you know, uh, in the 70s, even the music, you know, the recent kind of what I consider fraud death of David Bowie. Um, the music that we were <laughs> listening to as kids, you know, there's a star man waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Um, the name of his band, even, and he's not alone. Uh, what was it? Right. Bo Bowie and the Spider or Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Um, this <laughs> stuff has all been an indoctrination um, in my view. So I think that we kind of, of share that similar view on aliens. Well, I don't rule out the possibility. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen anything that wasn't made in Hollywood that, that I could even point to, but you know, here, here, let's, let's move on to the next thing. So I'll be blunt about it too. Are, chem, <laughs> are, are, are chemtrails real? Well, something's real up there. And, and I've, I see jets. I've observed jets for many, many years. I mean, I like to fly and everything. And, and I tell you what, when you see a plane flying over and putting out a, contrail, which is the condensation from the engine, uh, well, you know what that is. I mean, you can see it. It goes out, you know, uh, hard to judge how many miles back or maybe a half a mile or maybe five miles back, but you can see it quickly dissipating. You know, it just it just re-blends back into the atmosphere and just, right. just melts away. But this other stuff that they spray, uh, whatever it is, 
when them planes go over and when they fog the sky, I mean, it's bellowing out. I don't know if too many people's ever seen crop dusters, but I, I live near cane fields in Louisiana and watch crop dusters in the early days when they would spray. Now their, their sprays are a little bit more tamed down. They used to spray all kind of crazy stuff back then, like, oh, let's just spray it and kill everything. You know, they didn't care the 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 uh, EPA stuff, you know. And you'd see them crop dusters come down there and spray. It's almost looking like at one of these planes dropping water on a, on a forest fire. It just bellows out. It just just comes out in this gargantuan bellowing form that when they go clean from one eye from one end of the sky to the other, that trail is still there and you give it 30 minutes, it's just spread out like a fine mist across the sky and you can't even see the sun. So it can't be just a fog or you know the the the, uh, the uh, condensation from an engine. Ice condensation breakers, doesn't yeah. yeah yeah condensation doesn't last that long. Sure doesn't. And, and, you know, people that are older like us, uh, we remember a time when none of this went on and, uh, you know, how, how bad are they in your area? I mean, when I was in San Diego, it got to the point where there were weeks on end when I could not film the moon, uh, because of chemtrails. So how, how bad is it for you? Well, in, I mean, throughout the summer months and going into the winter, it was really, really heavy. But I've noticed over the last several months, we've had very few days with any chemtrails at all. I mean, crystal clear blue skies. And, and, and I try to understand, well, it is, it, is, it, is it something that I'm, you know, because a lot of times they say, well, there's many, many timelines that we could live on. Well, now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I don't focus in on it. I just go about my day, and it seems like it doesn't happen. You know, but when I start really focusing on certain things, I notice it more. Maybe they're happening more often than not, but uh, for the most part, around here for the last several months, I could probably count on one hand is is how many days we've seen maybe one or two planes go over that crisscross, yep. and that's it. You know, and it'll it'll drift off to the to the northeast and be gone. You know, so. Um, we've had some pretty good days. I have to say we've had some really good days of nothing in the skies, you know, and it, it's so blue that you can't even say, okay, where's the depth perception? You can't tell. There's no clouds. There's no nothing, you know? Right. Really awesome. Well, I'll tell you, there's a, a crazy thing going on here in San Diego. Um, I got to the point where I could tell, um, just from the flight path that these jets were on and the altitude you know, whether they were chem planes, even if they weren't spraying, uh, I would still film them. And a lot of times they would begin spraying as I was filming. But here in Rhode Island, um, they are just pummeling across the ecliptic. Uh, for those mm. listening, the ecliptic being the path that the sun and the moon seem to travel. And what's right. crazy is when the wind's going in the right direction, they will spray north of the ecliptic so that the chemtrails blow right. into the path of the sun. And what's really crazy is here is case in point what I'd been saying for years now. They seem to be covering the sunrise and sunset. And so I'm really going to be focusing on uh -huh. these times if I can. Um, I have to kind of travel a little bit where I am here to get good, clear horizon shots because, as everyone right. knows, in New England, there's a lot of trees. And a lot of trees means you got to, you know, find places where <laughs> you can see the horizon. But... Um, 
I really am going to make an effort to see if I have, in fact, filmed a reflection of the moon or a reflection of the sun on what some people would call the firmament, what other people would call the dome, and what I call the hard, fast boundary between what we call space and our atmosphere. Right. Um, right. But it kind of brings me to the next question. Uh, let, what, let me let me let me elaborate on something just for a go moment. Ahead. You know, you was talking about the dome or the firmament, whatever it might be up there. We don't know. We haven't been there, so right. I don't know for, for a fact. But I can tell you this. Shooting with this 4K camera, I'll take it and I'll, I'll put a tree in the bottom of the frame so I can have a little bit of depth perception. And I've noticed on two different occasions shooting atop of one of trees, and I got it focused kind of like, uh, like a... When I put it on manual focus, the infinity type focus, yep. I've noticed in a certain part of the sky that it almost looks like one or two pixels will light up and it'll just flicker. And it almost looks like if you're looking at a star that's just so faint you can barely see it at nighttime, hmm. that's what it looks like in the daytime. But you cannot see it with the naked eye. Only when you had it, when I had it zoomed in and focused just right where I may have had it just right to where I had it infinity, just right on that, uh, you know, out there to where I could pick it up. Yep. But you could literally see it. It almost looked like somebody had a mirror. You know how they flick that mirror and it catches sunlight and it goes in your eyes momentarily? Yeah. And it and it did it for maybe 30 seconds. And I'm like, wow. Now, Were you recording? That? Did you record that? I did record it. But I have to go dig around and see if I can actually find it because there's only about 30 seconds of a little piece of that. And, uh, yeah. It was right above that tree. Now, I say above the tree, it's out in the space out there somewhere. But you can see, it almost looked like when you, your wife videoed the, uh, what you thought may have been like a wormhole look off the side of the Oh, yeah, yeah, the vortex, yeah. It looked just like that. It was just like a little flicker uh-huh. and it stopped. A little flicker and stopped, you know? Yeah. Wow, I'd, I'd love to see that footage, man. And, and I'll tell you what, I would not be surprised to learn um, that one of the things chemtrails is doing is blocking something that we could see or film um, with the modern equipment we have that kind of demonstrate the boundary between what we call space um, and our atmosphere. But, I mean, do you have any guess uh, what chemtrails might be for? Well, the different chemicals that people have uh, come up with that they have found in mountain uh, where they've said many years of, of climbing mountains. Of course, I'm not a mountain climber, so I'm just going by what they say, whoever they are. Uh, they've said that uh, the snow up in these high mountains was just pristine. You could you could eat it or drink it as water, you know? Right. But they've noticed that uh, from the same snow uh, now has the different types of chemicals in it that's like uh, almost like neurotoxin type stuff stuff that just kind of wreaks havoc with your brain and your whole system and your nervous system and everything. Now, why would that be happening? Well, then you can go off on about 10 different tangents. Who profits from people being sick? You know, who profits from giving you medication to fix this problem, that problem, you know? Yeah. So it could be any reason. It's a big industry out there. So who knows? I, I And what it could be, I haven't done actual, you know, laboratory tests or anything myself. So I would only be speculating if I would even come close to even saying what I thought it was, you know, yeah, but, I, you know, 
I, I think it's pretty clear that it, at the very base of things, uh, weather manipulation has to be involved because it is crystal clear to me um, that the amount of sunlight that's being blocked is observable. And when I was in San Diego and they were hitting so heavily there, when I finally went on that road trip, part of it was to try to escape that so that I could shoot again. And, you know, I, I have no idea whether it was 50 or 60 or 70 percent of sunlight being uh, refracted away from us, which has an effect yeah. on human beings, on crops. But, yep. you know, it's like you mentioned, there are, in fact, lab tests from all over this world that show things like barium, strontium, aluminum. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a whole litany of things. And this, you know, this was not learned in one place. This was learned all right. over the place. But I'll keep the it, ball rolling it, here. It, yeah, and people can research and, and find out what each one of those chemicals That's right. will do to the body. Uh, you know, I heard one doctor say many years ago, he said, with all the chemicals that pass through our body, we literally need four functioning livers to, to detox our body on a daily basis. And I'm like, wow, that's astounding, you know? Uh, so <laughs> take, yeah, that, into, it, take know, that into consideration. Ju you know? Just as a side note, you know, <laughs> I wrote an article not too long ago for Higher Side Chats where I talked about the Gerson method. Um, Charlotte Gerson, who lives in San Diego and is forced to run her clinic down in Tijuana because it's against the law to treat cancer in this country with lettuce, apple, and carrot juice and stuff like this because it's, quote, dangerous. But uh, she, her method detoxifies the body in a way that's incredible. I've done it. It makes you feel like you're 16 again. But let me keep yeah. the ball rolling along here. Yeah, I, I, I'm spinning off on a tangent here. Um, do you think this world is properly described? No. No, 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 no. Not a bit. Uh, just an observation. This is my observation. No scientific studies or anything like this controlled. But, dude, I sit down on my front, my, my back patio in the mornings. I watch the sun come up, and I watch how it comes across. I watch it how it goes down in the afternoon. And I watch the moon. I observe, uh, well, you know, like you said, you don't want to get pulled into flat earth stuff. And I, I don't care to either. But I have to say, there's a lot of observations that indicate that uh, eight inches per mile squared is not the figure what this place is. That's right. You know, and uh, not to go off on a tangent on that or anything like that, but I have observed, I've watched aircraft. If you watch a plane, if it flew, let's just say a plane flew 150 miles, they would have dropped 9,000 feet, give or take whatever it is. Okay, right. I've watched planes fly over here, fly clean off into the far as I could see them. They ain't none of them planes going down toward the ground because if they were going toward the ground, it would be arcing around the arc of the planet. That's right. Them planes are going straight out till they disappear into the sunset out there somewhere. I've, you know? I've done that. You know, I've been in the mountains of East County, San Diego, and you can see, I don't know maybe 20 miles off the coast from the tops of those mountains, maybe more. It depends on uh, visibility, but you can see exactly what you just described. They leave the airport down at the coast. You're on a mountaintop. They get up to altitude, and then you watch them go until they're, you know, too small to be seen anymore, right. and they have not, they're just flying level. Um, yep. And, you know, it kind of demonstrates to folks 
so many people want to call the flat earth movement a bunch of crazy people. And, you know, to me, that is the most ridiculous thing yeah. for people who are challenging something, um, right. doing their job, basically. Um, that's what human beings should be doing is challenging yeah. and learning and furthering what we know. And you and I, two people who have spent endless hours observing behind telescopes, with cameras, with our naked eyes, both agree that this world is misdescribed, mm -hmm. um, that it is some sort of a plane, at least as far as we can see, which isn't very far. It's a small portion of this world, what we right. can observe. We both agree that the sun and moon are misdescribed and not the distances we've been told. Um, and we arrived at these conclusions independent of each other. Um, in other words, I did not provide you anything no. that I'm aware of that, that, you know, shaped your overall view. And I know for a fact that you haven't, you know, handed me anything that's overall shaped my view. And I will attribute a lot, maybe 80, 90% of my view from direct observation. And I that's think right. that's probably the case with you too. That's right. I mean, what I have observed, it's sort of like you're, you're going through your life, you're going like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. You know, you, you're asking, you're saying this all the time, and then all of a sudden you just come across like your research, and you're going like, I knew it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I knew it. You know, and it's like finally I found somebody that that says something is a little different, and it's like collaborating con uh, information from two different sources, and it just comes together. And of course now. You've got a lot of other people just like ourselves that has come out and has spoken up because, you know, automatically what people do, they say, you're stupid. Well, that challenges me really good, you know. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, you yeah. just call me stupid. That just fixes everything, you know. No, there's a lot of highly educated people in this world that are researching a lot of different things that are not you know, status quo, and they're coming up with the same answers like, wait a minute, what we've been told is not true, you know? Right. I mean, it's pretty much self-evident. I mean, at this point, what are your feelings about the flat earth? And, and let me compound that question a little bit. Um, do you think that the flat earth movement is helping, adding more confusion? Uh, what are your thoughts on it as a whole? As a whole, what I see is you've got some key people that has brought it to the forefront. Uh, Mark Sargent, Patricia Steer, and different people like this, uh, David Weiss. You've got a lot of people who has brought it to the forefront and is doing a phenomenal job of, of just saying, here's what I have found. What do you think? What do you see? And as it is turning out, uh, yet yeah, first there was a lot of people, like I said, stupid you know they just call people names like really right let's, no let's just back off and and just try to understand and you know because in the afternoon you still have to eat and go to bed and get up and go to work the next day so let's not get crazy let's just try to understand what's really happening so since that time you've had a lot of people that has uh research done laser tests across lakes miles you know like four four miles across lakes yep. and realizing that uh hey you can see that laser four miles away and you should have so many feet of uh curvature oh, there right, right. and uh it, it just goes on and on you have a lot of people researching it and uh, a lot of great things are coming out of it and i think it's going to hit a a point to where well let's put it this way 
and I'm going to refer to Mark Sargent. Uh, the young man has challenged any kind of physicist, anybody with higher education to come in and, and, and combat what he has said. If they can come up with perfect proof that this place is a globe, he'll be glad to say, hey, it's a globe, and let's just go with that. But no one in the last year has come up and challenged him. No one. A lot of people have called him crazy and this and this and that, but that's just easy. Anybody can do that, you know. But no one from the scientific world has come up and said, I want to challenge you on this. And that says volumes right there, as you would say. That says volumes, you know. If, if it was the case that it is a, a globe, then you'd have people come like, okay, here's our research. Here's our video from space. Uh, we took this when we was flying this satellite. And, of course, we don't have no satellite pictures of Earth, you nope, know. Not one. No video of Earth. I nope. mean, could this, man, with all the fine cameras you can buy at Walmart to <laughs> Best Buy, you can't put a a, a $1,000 camera on a, a billion-dollar satellite and take a good video 24 and 7? Something's wrong there, you know? Yeah, I mean. That was, that was a rant, wasn't it? No, I mean, come <laughs> on, it is. Something is definitely wrong. In, in this day and age, the age of high-definition video, anything that's interesting or amazing is going to get filmed. And the truth is, is you have never seen anything, anything filmed from space or videoed from space. Yeah. And what happens a lot is people will produce videos that are claimed to be shot from the ISS or something. What they don't understand is so much of the actual true video uh, from altitude is being shot by high-altitude planes at about 70,000 sure. feet, and mm. you really can't tell the difference. But there are channels out there like the Jungle Surfer and others who don't get a lot of traffic, don't get a lot of recognition because they're not glitzy, they're not glamorous, right. they're just simply showing the false construct. Um, it's crazy, man. Uh, it is. Let, let's it is. let's move along. Hey, have you ever filmed anything that might look like a reflection off the, off a dome or off what people call the firmament, firmament? What I call the barrier between what we call space. Have you seen anything like that? And also, I'd be very interested to see what that 4K camera can do in this regard. But there you go. We need to we need to hook up some time on a little vacation and, and collaborate some shooting one afternoon to really show you what this thing can do. But um, I have uh, the, the one of the things that I have to say is like when I was telling you about where I shot into the space during the daytime, nighttime, it, it is what it is. It's whatever the stars are up there, lights in the sky, whatever they are. Uh, it's it's that's it. But in the in the daytime, when you have a crystal clear sky that you're looking up into. And when I shoot up there and I see this little glinting of a light, I'm going like, okay, well, what is that glinting of a light? How far away is this so-called dome? I mean, I mean, why is it that all cultures throughout the world has talked about the firmament and just 500 years ago they just changed it because one guy said it was round, you know? What was the agenda behind that? And that's a whole different story there, I guess, too. But... Uh, I've, I've been, as I've been playing around with this camera, I've, I've, I've been shooting just to see if I could just see anything that would indicate that there's something there. You know, it, it, the depth perception when it's just clear like that, it's just really, really hard 
to focus in on any one thing. If you got an object sitting there, well, definitely you can focus in on it and shoot it. But something is transparent or as it is, it's hard to do. It really is. You know, I could, <clears throat> I could probably, well, I will say this. Um, with a 4K camera, and I know you're an early riser, I think there's real dividends to be found uh, shooting at sunrise and sunset. And since you've got a very sensitive camera and you've got to be careful because I guess it can go into IR if that's more than just an IR filter. Um, if you could shoot as it's rising before you get the full glare of the sun or use a light obliteration technique where gotcha. you where you put something over the disc of the sun so you don't get the full glare of it, it would be very interesting to get 4K footage at these times because mm -hmm. I would be willing to bet, and I'm not much of a betting man, that uh, the chemtrailing that occurs at sun up and sun down is absolutely hiding something. Um, you know, when we were coming across country, when we left South Carolina, um, or North Carolina, which was the worst chemtrailing I'd ever seen just below Washington, D.C., um, every day as I drove west, I would look in my rear view and the rising sun would be completely blotted out from chemtrailing. And many times I couldn't even see chemtrails in the blue sky. And every night on the way home, as the sun went down, the same thing, right where the sun was going down or coming up, completely smudged out and then to the right, left and above it, blue sky seemingly. So it would be very interesting to me to see you do some 4k camera work at these times. Yeah. Um, and knowingly go after things like reflections, uh, this right. kind of thing. So many people keep claiming they see a double sun at these times. And, uh, for my money, if they are observing a second light like that, I would be looking at reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I did catch something and it was actually, I just, shot it with my cell phone because I got 4K <laughs> photograph on that on the cell phone too. Uh, and I was coming into the our subdivision one afternoon. Now, you might call this a sun dog, is that what they call it? Or yeah, yeah. A reflection off the clouds a little bit because they did have a low layer of, of, of stream of clouds going across, but the sun was distinctively to my right and, you know, way across to my left. I mean, it just looked like a mirror was put up there. I mean, it was just like, bam, you know, just this bright, bright light. I'll have to send that to you so you can take a look at it. Yeah, but uh, that might have been just reflection off the uh, the moisture in the clouds. Cloud cover, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, but uh, i tell you what I will do. I will start uh, making a point to shoot late in the afternoon when the sun's going down because the sun goes directly down in front of our house uh, and and we have a good clear open skies. Our, our trees are not, it's a fairly new subdivision. So our trees are not, you know, just really huge around here. So we can get a good uh, line of sight across there. And possibly when the, when the sun goes down behind the houses, that would be a great time because just catching it as it goes down, if there's any reflection up into the sky across there, would probably be a good time to catch that, you know? Yeah, I would love to at some point get my solar rig out uh, on water on one of the ocean. I mean, the ocean is everywhere here in Rhode Island, um, but I would love to be able to film what they call the green flash through my H-alpha rig to see that. Yeah. I can tell you this. The two times that I have my solar rig on the sun, the sun was near apex, um, straight overhead, 
and I would move the scope to the left, not very far, but maybe I'm guessing four, four or five sun widths to the left and slightly up. And that's where I found the reflection or what is possibly a reflection uh, more than once. And then with the moon, it was a little bit further, but off to the left. What's strange about this is I couldn't find anything to the right either time. And uh, so there it is for what it's worth. But let's jump right into the lunar wave. Um, how many times have you shot the lunar wave to date? Oh, I've shot it uh, two times. All right, man, there it is. Episode four in the bag. I know, again, it did say three in the audio, but I swapped the clips out, as I have explained. In the second hour, Randy and I jump in to depth uh, about the lunar wave, about the similar experiences that we have had while filming the moon for extended periods um, that are weird things, things like... Um, finding one portion of the moon in focus and another portion out of focus. Um, I didn't realize that there were other people that were having this experience. Randy has had this experience. We talk about the possibility that the sun is being hidden on the horizon by chem planes as it rises and sets and what that might mean. We talk about um, false constructs. We talk about false news. We address the kind of idea that the media put out that the earth had been knocked off its access with the Phuket earthquake that was supposedly nine point something on the Richter scale and I give evidences as to to prove why these are false things that the media does and Randy has a hell of a close where he talks about fear um, best close yet anyhow the second hour a uh, little more than a second hour is available for members over at crow triple seven radio.com I hope to see you there and cheers to all.